Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, Kate Burdett talks with the head of Life Care Alliance about their involvement with the Columbus Cancer Clinic. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has information about the upcoming election, including some of the statewide candidates and a new ordinance in Columbus to better protect poll workers. And she'll also take a look at the big announcement Honda made this month about a new project in Fayette County. And in the second half hour, I'll talk with the director of a state agency involved with the fight against opioid addiction. First up on Columbus Perspective, here's Kate Burdett. I'm joined today by Mr. Chuck Gehring. He is the CEO of Life Care Alliance in Columbus. It's an organization that encompasses support and outreach for many different facets of life. They have many organizations under them. One of them is the Columbus Cancer Clinic, and a major fundraiser for the Columbus Cancer Clinic is coming up on October 30th. It's the Night of Hope and Support. We're going to learn more about that, and we're going to hear about all the wonderful things the Columbus Cancer Clinic does in our community. Chuck Gehring, thanks so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me, Kate. To start off, what can you tell me about the Columbus Cancer Clinic? I know it's a name we hear a lot, and I think I, myself included, many of us are saying, that's so great, but what exactly do they do? Well, uh, Columbus Cancer Clinic was founded in 1921, so they're 101 years old this year. Wow. And uh, they were the first free cancer clinic in the country, believe it or not, founded by a lady by the name of Catherine Nelson Black, who went by Carrie. And uh, she had founded uh, previously a couple other organizations, one of which is Life Care Alliance, where I'm the, the head of. Uh, in 2005, uh, due to some financial difficulties and different things that were happening, they decided to merge into Life Care Alliance. Uh, and we've had them ever since. And they are now the last free cancer clinic in the state of Ohio and in any state touching Ohio. So there just isn't much left out there. Uh, these things don't make a lot of money. So we have to have fundraisers. But uh, but what they do is they we don't do any research or anything. We are helping people through their disease. So when you get cancer, you're oftentimes sent to us. Uh, we do a lot of backup work for the James. We do a lot of backup work for Ohio Health, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you might be sent to us for uh, a number of services. Um, uh, one of the things we have always done is mammograms. Let's say you have a some sort of breast cancer as a female or a male, and you uh, go through treatment and the James fixes you. You then have to be uh, followed up every quarter, generally, with a new mammogram to make sure everything's okay. And uh, if you're uninsured or underinsured, uh, you end up with us generally. And uh, we do those screenings, but we'll do anybody's mammogram screenings. Uh, we can bill insurance, so we, we can even take people to pay us. But about 60% of the clients that come to the Columbus Cancer Clinic are, are either un, uninsured totally or they have something like Medicaid. And um, uh, that is not something that pays a lot of money. So that's where we come in as a nonprofit. In addition to mammogram screenings, though, which is the highest end things we do, uh, we also do just uh, other cancer screenings. We have a nurse practitioner, for example, who would do uh, screenings of you to look, uh, do a head to toe screening for moles, see if there's any cancerous uh, lesions on your body. And there's some other things we do with that. Uh, but a lot of it is just helping you through. So uh, we will pay rents and utilities. Oftentimes when you get cancer, it really hits you financially in a very bad way and your family's in trouble. 
and we need to keep you in your home because we don't want you to go to a homeless shelter when you're going through cancer treatments. So we will pay, uh, if you don't have the financial resources, some rents and utilities to get you through. We'll do transportation uh, to your appointments. So we'll take you to daily radiation or weekly chemo treatments or whatever they might be. Uh, we provide uh, wigs and prostheses. We have a huge room that helps uh, women get back on their feet. You know, if you're going to go out and get a job, and you're going through cancer treatments and you don't have hair, you need a wig. So we do that. We give out durable medical equipment, which is everything from wheelchairs, walkers to shower chairs, um, things like that. We give out uh, bandages, uh, whatever it might be. And we have nurses that assist you with that. Uh, and we have a food pantry, which is a huge thing, which currently has 1,200 families using it. And to use our food pantry, we have the unusual food pantry in the food bank system here in central Ohio. In that ours, you have to have active cancer and be going through treatment uh, to use our pantry. So we are not a supplement to your diet. We are your diet. We're feeding your whole family. So if you can picture uh, a family of four as an example... And you go to the grocery store and you get a week's worth of food, your car is pretty full. That's what we're taking out to you. And we do it specifically based on what the doctor wants. So if the doctor, for example, wants your red blood cells to get re-energized, we'll send you a lot of red meat. But we also send some goodies like birthday cakes and things for the kids who might be affected by this, et cetera, et cetera. And we do a lot of services like that. And so it's basically to help you get through your treatments. And, uh, you know, a lot of cancers can be fixed nowadays. And we want you to get through your treatments and get back to life. And that's that's where we come in to help out. I think you hit on a really important point that nowadays with medical and scientific and technological advances, so many people are living with not dying from cancer. But with that said, many people are finding those daily struggles even more challenging because of their condition. And I, it really strikes me as you're describing this, this is just one of the many facets of the Life Care Alliance and your name truly yeah. does a great job of describing. It is life care. It is those things that when you have yeah. this devastating diagnosis in your life, you may not even consider, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay the rent if I have to do mm -hmm. all of these extra things? So really remarkable and Again, this is all a nonprofit, and that's where fundraisers yeah. like the Night of Hope and Support come in. This event's been going on for several years. I know I've attended it in the past, and it's a wonderful, wonderful event. Before I forget, I should mention, it's coming up on October 30th, 7 p.m. at the Macy's at Easton. And it's a really, really special evening to raise money for the Columbus Cancer Clinic. And it's done in honor and in memory of um, a woman who bravely and very publicly fought her battle with cancer, Heather Pick, who was a uh, 10 TV. The anchor reporter um, was a colleague of mine way back in the day, and uh, I remember her courage and grace as she as she fought through that. And this event, I know, was was near and dear to her heart, wasn't it? Yeah, she helped us start it. Uh, when we got the cancer clinic, uh, the cancer clinic was independent from 1921 through 2005, and then they merged into Life Care Alliance. And at that time, we really needed something to raise some money, but we also wanted to raise awareness. And they had talked, she had talked, uh, Heather, you know, was diagnosed at 29 and passed away at 39, but she had talked about the struggle and that people, the whole subject of self-esteem. And we like to think at Life Care Alliance, a lot of our clients, self-esteem is something they don't always have uh, or they're in short supply of. So we want to help them with that. So what the event does, it's a fashion show uh, with women and men in it, but we take cancer survivors, uh, people who, and sometimes they're going through treatment at the time of the event. 
and the uh, host uh, retailer, which has been Macy's the last few years. Uh, we've been at Polaris, but this year we're going to Easton. And uh, they dress the models, and they dress them in a couple different nice outfits. I mean, really, uh, things they want to show off for the holiday season. We have uh, Kenneth's hair comes in and does hair and makeup for the models. And then they get a professional uh, photograph uh, that they can take, kind of a glamour shot, which makes them. And all this is done to make them feel better about themselves. And they walk the runway, and their family and friends come, and there's a lot of cheering going on. Uh, it's just a wonderful, heartwarming, uplifting evening because the, the women and a few men that we throw in, too, with different kinds of cancers. Most of the women have uh, had breast cancer issues, and the, the men are all over the board. But but they get to come out and show off their stuff and uh, their families get to cheer them on as they continue to struggle with this. And, you know, uh, some of these folks we've had have gone through three or four bouts of it and uh, it's never easy and uh, it really makes them feel better. And they get dressed up and they get made up and uh, with makeup and hair uh, by Kenneth. And so Heather was a part of starting this whole thing and uh, was very instrumental in designing this and saying, here's what we need to do for the ladies. And uh, it's continued on for low these many years. So it's really been about 16 years now. It is a, a fundraiser that helps the Columbus Cancer Clinic with their work, and they need help because, as I said earlier in this, uh, it doesn't exactly make money. Can't, there's a reason there's no, we're the last free cancer clinic in this state and all the states touching Ohio. It's because they don't make money. And so uh, this helps us carry on our work and make sure we can take care of everybody who's um, out there who needs a little help. And we continue, I want to stress this, many cancer service organizations do not take everybody. They, they have waiting lists or whatever. We have never had a waiting list with this since we've had them. And uh, even through COVID, we kept everybody off a waiting list. We got the goods out to everybody. Everybody delivered. Uh, the staff here was helping deliver some of the pantry goods uh, to people to keep them eating right because that's so important while they're going through treatments uh, that they have proper nutrition and things and uh, kept up with the exercise regimes and our nurses we're helping with that and the dietitians and uh, we got through COVID pretty well so uh, we're very fortunate. Well we're glad to hear that too. Chuck Gehring is who we're talking to today. He is the CEO of Life Care Alliance in Columbus. It is um, an overarching entity that encompasses many different facets of public service and service to our neighbors who might need a little extra help. Today we're talking about the Columbus Cancer Clinic and specifically their event coming up on October 30th 7pm at Macy's at Easton Town Center. It's called the Night of Hope and Support. You'll have ambassador models, all cancer survivors, showing off some great fashions for the holidays from Macy's. It's an evening not to be uh, missed and that you will not forget. Proceeds benefit the Columbus Cancer Clinic through the Heather Pick Spirit Fund. Heather was a, a shining light. I remember an article, I think, that was written about her at some point during her journey and her quote stuck with me and I remember it to this day. She said, I'm not just surviving, I'm thriving. And I feel that right. so well describes how you have kind of uh, described this event is that these these cancer survivors and patients are living their lives. They're going to be up on the on the runway modeling clothes. You're going to be there to cheer them on. It is really yeah. it sounds like a special evening not to be missed. So, yeah. And we always have some uh, Angela Ann from Channel 10 has been our longtime MC. She's so much and, fun. Uh, she always does a great job. And I would tell you that what what is really special last uh, in the early days and now coming back again heather's daughter comes to this oh my god and we force her on stage to say something heather's daughter is somewhere i don't want to guess she's around 20 21 years old she's in college and uh she and she's uh she's 
a clone of her mother oh. and uh, she comes in and, and says a few things and uh, I think it's still special to um, uh, Heather's uh, Heather's husband Joe and the kids I think the people find that very very special that uh, they remember Heather quite a bit Heather was a real mover and a shaker and uh, got this going and we do have here the Heather pick fund and all the money for this goes to the Heather pick fund it's a fun night though if you want to come we have uh, heavy hors d'oeuvres that we provide through our LA catering company and there are some adult beverages and some non-adult beverages and uh, uh, but it's just a fun evening and then what happens is which is really cool it's all always done on a Sunday night. And what will happen afterwards, after the runway show, is that around 8 or so, we'll be done with the runway show, 8, 8.30. And uh, Macy's stays open. Now, Macy's, this is a Sunday night. And it's always done on a Sunday night when the stores are closed. But they will stay open with their staff. And you can go shop at Macy's. And uh, Macy's has some special deals and things like that they only do for this crowd. And it's a chance to get your holiday shopping done a little early. And you, you really don't have to fight the crowds because it's just our crew is there that night and uh, gives you a chance to look around and they always have some, and, and they, they take this very personally. And there's uh, some other Channel 10 folks that always show up, uh, some of the celebrities from Channel 10. And it's a very... Uh, heartwarming and special evening and people have come over the years have really enjoyed it. You can get tickets for the Night of Hope and Support at lifecarealliance.org. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuck Gehring, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy man, so we don't want to take any more of uh, your time. Well, and- I'm happy to spend all the time I can. I, I'm in love with Heather Pick and she uh, was great to us and uh, I know she's in heaven looking down on this and we love her to death and this will be another great night to uh, support our cancer clinic here in Central Ohio. So thank you for for your time, Kate. Thank you so much, and best of luck with your event. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10-TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10-TV. Thank you so much for joining us today for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. Early voting is underway right now in Ohio. There's no question these are politically tense times in the state and across the nation. The people who keep your vote secure need their own security. As 10TV's Brian Somerville found out, Columbus City leaders have a plan for that. Columbus City Council is putting more protections in place for November 8th poll workers. Certainly as an elections official, uh, you know, we, we applaud that. Franklin County Board of Elections PIO Aaron Sellers says the new legislation serves as a strong reminder for best practices at the polls. The job is already hard enough as it is. And, you know, elections, you know, people are, uh, you know, they, they these are big elections, presidential cycles, gubernatorial, gubernatorial cycles. People are uh, passionate. They are. And that's not a bad thing. Um, but just remember that your poll worker 
it is is a vital part of the component of running elections. Let's be clear, it is already against the law to assault somebody or, or to, you know, to create a, a unsafe situation at a polling location. Secretary of State Frank LaRose says most Ohioans understand the polls are a sacred space and believes Columbus's ordinance was unnecessary. I think this is the problem with sort of 24-7 news cycles on cable and everything else. They may have heard about something else that happened in another state and, and perhaps overreacting a bit. But listen, we'll never take any chances when it comes to public safety. And so if that's the decision they wanted to make for Columbus, we welcome that. He says to his knowledge, there have been no credible threats in Ohio against poll workers. I received a call in August at the primary where somebody was threatening one of our poll workers. City Councilman Emmanuel Remy says he didn't think penalties went far enough. Now, if something happens to a poll worker, it is a mandatory three days in jail. We're serious about this. If you inf- you interfere with the election process, there will be significant consequences. Seller says on November 8th, there will be 309 voting locations in Franklin County, 199 of them in Columbus, making up about 64 percent And to work those polls, Franklin County BOE is recruiting 5,000 workers. If there's one thing that I am certain about, we're going to make sure that everybody that comes to vote and all of our poll workers are safe and secure. In Columbus, Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. And according to Columbus City Council, there is the mandatory three days in jail. And then council also says a person found guilty of election interference or harassment of an election official will not be eligible for probation, house arrest or work release. U.S. Senate candidates J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan faced off. The debate in Cleveland covered issues including inflation and abortion. And then there were plenty of jabs at each other. We asked a local political scientist to weigh in on where this race stands. I think what Tim Ryan has really excelled at is running a campaign that looks and sounds and feels like Ohio. You know, Tim Ryan is really running mostly to be acceptable to as many Ohioans as possible. You know, J.D. Vance, to some extent, has been kind of coasting through this. I think he thought that the Trump endorsement won him the primary, and I think he thought a, a Trump endorsement would help him coast through to victory in the general election, but it's proven to be far more competitive than that. Both candidates had an opportunity to talk with reporters after the debate. J.D. Vance did not do that, but Tim Ryan did. Here's what he had to say about what he calls his fight to make Ohio better. I think one of the big problems we have is you're all one side or all the other, and that's the only way you're going to pull the lever. I want to go to the Senate because I want to figure out how we can build out a consensus around energy, around education, around our geopolitical struggles. How do we come together? We had that for a long time, but starting in Vietnam and over the last couple of decades, it's been just fraying, fraying, fraying until now. We've got all these problems. I think people are ready to leave the age of stupidity behind us. There will be no gubernatorial debate. Democratic challenger Nan Whaley says that's because Mike DeWine, the incumbent, will not agree to one. We did try to ask the governor about that during a press event. Speaking of re-election, why won't you debate, Governor? (laughs) This is a happy day. We're going to continue to talk about uh, Honda. We talk with the candidates for Secretary of State. Democrat Chelsea Clark is running against incumbent Frank LaRose. Clark is a business owner and city councilwoman in Forest Park, which is in Hamilton County there in Cincinnati. She says she wants to make it easier for people in rural counties to vote. When we look into our rural communities, there is a significant income difference based from there to our, you know, in terms of there to our metropolitan areas and 
about $20,000 in annual difference in income. And so with gas prices the way they are, you are certainly going to feel that if I've got an hour, hour and a half drive round trip to make just to drop off a ballot um, at only one location. Incumbent Secretary of State Frank LaRose says he and his team are working to make sure voting is safe and accurate in Ohio. The fact is that here in Ohio, voter fraud is rare, and so is voter suppression. I mean, we work to keep those rare, and Republicans and Democrats should be able to agree that we won't tolerate fraud, we won't tolerate suppression. Both of those are immoral and illegal, and we're going to stamp them out whenever they happen. That's why, for example, we created the Public Integrity Division in our office just recently to do a more effective job at being able to investigate those rare instances where either of those two election crimes occur. Right now, you're probably starting to see more campaign ads. Brandon Lewis from our National Verified team looks into whether politicians can lie in those ads. Midterm election season is here, and that means there will be political ads everywhere you look. And some of those ads will inevitably make outlandish claims. Some Verify viewers emailed us to ask if candidate ads have to tell the truth. So let's verify. Are political ads required to be factual in order to be aired on broadcast television? Our sources are the Federal Communications Commission, the Federal Trade Commission, and University of Minnesota political science professor David Schultz. The rules for political ads are very different than typical consumer products. And we want to be clear up front that the answer to this question is no. Political ads are not required to be factual in order to be aired on broadcast television. In fact, the law allows politicians to say almost whatever they want in a commercial. This is because political ads are regulated by the FCC, which applies just two rules. One is that all candidates have the same opportunity to buy commercial time on stations. And two is that politicians can say whatever they want. Accuracy is not one of the rules. Although TV stations could run a disclaimer explaining the rules before airing an ad. The only consequence for politicians who produce misleading or false ads is in court. And that's only if they defame someone, which is rare and hard to prove. I think the rationale behind it is what? The idea of saying that candidates get to say what they want and what? The voters get to sort of, through the marketplace of ideas, decide what's true, what's false. That marketplace could also include news stories or fact checks like Verify stories explaining what's true and false. Schultz says you should always read the fine print on an ad to see who is funding it and do your own research on a candidate to see if what's being claimed is really true. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. One issue on the ballot for Columbus voters is affordable housing and improving infrastructure. The bond issues would allow Columbus to invest $1.5 billion in the neighborhoods. $200 million would address the city's housing crisis. It would also improve fire facilities, rec centers, sidewalks, and overall public health. So I encourage all of our neighbors to read up on all the issues and to support issues 14 uh, through 18 to help make sure that every Columbus neighborhood is a safe, thriving place. The city says the bond issues would not increase property taxes or impose any new tax. Remember, early voting is happening now. Our digital team collected the information you need before the election, before you vote. Text the word vote to 614-460-3345 and we will send you a link. And after hours of debate, 
and public comment, the State Board of Education says more discussion is needed on its proposed Title IX resolution. More than 100 people showed up for public comment, and it took so long, the board couldn't even get to everyone. Do not allow schools to rob us of our children. Where is the respect and sensitivity for the mental health and emotional well-being of biological girls in sports? The board ultimately voted 12 to 7 in favor of sending a proposed piece of legislation to its executive committee. On the day many people were anticipating a final vote, the state board of education voted to send the Title IX resolution to executive committee for more discussion. The resolution... Board member Brendan Shea introduced lays out an unequivocal opposition to the Biden administration's proposal to extend Title IX's protection to gender identity and sexual orientation. I believe as education leaders in Ohio, this body must take a stand on one of the defining issues impacting education today. Ohio schools that don't go along with it face the risk of losing federal funding for their school lunch program. Board member Tim Miller says it's imperative they get this right. He's the one who proposed sending it to a committee. One common denominator that I hear from both sides, and both sides seem to be so far apart, is these kids exist, transgender kids exist, and we haven't had any kind of discussion on how we help those kids. And that's what we're supposed to be doing here. Under the expanded version of Title IX, it would require schools to allow access to bathrooms, locker rooms, and sports teams to transgender students. The goal of the expansion was to provide more protection for students against discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. I think it would be a travesty for this to go into committee and something doesn't come out. And we thank Richard Solomon for that reporting. Board members told Richard the president of the board wants the executive committee to have a meeting before the board meets again in November. It's going to be a public meeting. So far, though, nothing's been scheduled, so we'll be watching that. Right now, Stonewall Columbus is holding a Pathways to Parenthood conference. Organizers say they're focused in part on Title IX and how the overturning of Roe v. Wade threatens other freedoms for LGBTQ plus families. While our organization doesn't specifically focus on, on young people, um, uh, they are part of our community. Um, and we understand uh, in terms of the work that we do that identity development is critical to, to personal understanding and, and, uh, and success in the world. And so we really want to focus on that sort of piece of it to ensure that um, uh, our young people are stepping into spaces that are safe for them, uh, where they can express who they are um, and, and feel fully supported by the community around them. So this is something we're definitely attuned to and paying very close attention to. So we're actually pretty excited uh, about this event. Um, it's uh, it's intimate, um, is what I normally call it, which is probably the most appropriate because you can ask you know um, intimate questions, honest questions in, in small group. Um, uh, and we're re- sort of reframing it as more of a symposium, so a gathering of people to talk about these, um, these different topics um, that uh, people can sort of connect with. Up next, a big development coming to Fayette County. Is that small community ready for Honda? And there's a push to change Ohio's strangulation law. We'll look at how that change could impact domestic violence survivors. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. We make decisions every day. How to spend your weekend. What to wear. But some decisions are bigger than others. Don't let others make decisions for you. Vote. 
polls will be open on November 8th, and early in-person and absentee voting is available right now. No matter what you choose, you can be confident your vote is secure and your voice will be heard. Big or small, your decisions matter. Visit VoteOhio.gov for voting locations and hours. Sponsored by Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Aired by the OAB and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Truly, today is a great day for Ohio. Soon, billions of dollars will be pouring into central Ohio, providing hundreds of jobs. And we're not talking about Intel. In addition to plants in Marysville, East Liberty, and Anna, Honda just announced a brand new investment in Fayette County. This announcement is making waves across central Ohio. I want to break it down for you by the numbers. This is a nearly $4.5 billion investment across those four plants. It involves the creation of 2,500 new jobs. Plant construction begins in 2023. Battery facility will also have a significant impact, as Governor DeWine mentioned, on Columbus and the Cincinnati markets and the southeast Ohio regions as well, because Honda will depend on the workforce from those areas to support the supply and support their suppliers uh, at that facility and across Ohio. So it's a huge, huge statewide win. And this is also great news for Honda's hundreds of in-state suppliers and the people whose families and their livelihoods depend on that relationship with Honda. So many jobs you create beyond just what happens in the, in the four walls of your facilities. We create an economy that puts American jobs and American production, American workers first. I'm thankful for Honda's commitment to Ohio for four decades. I'm thankful the Ohio workers at Honda, workers who manufacturing the cars of the future, and the union workers who will build this new facility. I thank Honda management internationally and Honda management in Ohio and in this country uh, for, for recognizing a project labor agreement because the best work, whether it's Honda, whether it's the expansion of GM in Toledo, uh, whether it's the infrastructure bill, whether it's Intel, the best work will be done by paid, well-paid, well-benefit union labor. 10TV's Richard Solomon looks at whether Jeffersonville is ready for the big change. In the small town of Jeffersonville, the loudest thing you'll hear is Todd Beard's hedge trimmer. Small farming community, nice town, very relaxed, laid back. Simple. Yep, quiet town. But soon, a huge neighbor will move into Fayette County. We are announcing today that the batteries these vehicles will rely on to run will also be produced right here in the state of Ohio. Honda and LG Energy Solutions will invest $4.4 billion into Ohio. That includes the multi-billion dollar plant, bringing with it 2,200 jobs. Bob Nelson is the executive vice president for American Honda Company. He says it will sit right off Interstate 71. Plan to have the building done by 2024 and then production, mass production, 2025, end of 2025. Beard says that's too much change too fast. Exactly, exactly. Don't don't come into a small town and try to change things up. However, Dan Maxey. Oh, yeah. You are. I'm ready for something, you know, we need. Feels differently. Things to go instead of being shipped over to China or overseas. Maxey has lived in Jeffersonville for the last 50 years. He says the town he loves needs something new. And what better than a multi-billion dollar plant? Build houses, 
more stuff that's going to make this place grow. Both Maxie and Beard believe the plant will bring more money to the area. Whether they like it or not, the plant is rolling in. Right now, the potential for strangulation, a strangulation law in our state is tentative. Proposed legislation is making its way through the state Senate. House Bill 3, also known as Aisha's law, would make strangulation a felony in the state, just like it is in all other 49 states. Amy Steigerwald from our sister station in Toledo takes a look at how the change could impact survivors. Right now, the potential of Ohio getting a strangulation law is up in the air as it sits waiting to make its way through the Ohio Senate. House Bill 3, also known as Aisha's Law, would make strangulation a felony in the state of Ohio, just like it is in all other 49 states. I, I don't have an answer as to why we're still fighting this battle. Domestic violence advocates say they have been waiting for this law to pass for a long time, hoping to prevent dangerous and potentially deadly situations for victims of domestic violence. So as advocates in the community, we're really looking for another mechanism um, to hold offenders accountable, particularly offenders who use strangulation that really addresses the seriousness of the, of the crime. Todd Curtis, senior investigator with the Wood County Prosecutor's Office, has more than three decades of law enforcement experience, specifically when it comes to domestic violence cases. Curtis says in the majority of domestic violence homicides he's handled over the past 30 years, Strangulation was almost always a precursor to that homicide. So it's a telltale sign that things have gotten uh, violent, that the level of violence has increased, and that person is in serious jeopardy of losing their life. The next event that's going to happen is going to be an attempted murder or murder. So why doesn't Ohio have a law already? State legislators have tried to bring it across the finish line before, but have not been able to get it passed in time. And now if lawmakers cannot get it through the Ohio Senate before the end of the year, the process will once again start over, something domestic violence shelters do not want to see. We've seen increased levels of violence being used in domestic violence relationships. There are more survivors who are um, reporting increased physical assaults, and that includes increased strangulation. In Toledo, Amy Stuggerwald, WTOL 11. If you or a loved one is dealing with the impact of domestic violence, there's help available for you. 614-224-4663 to be connected with experts. Adults nationwide able to purchase certain types of hearing aids over the counter. It's part of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's plan to make the expensive device more accessible. Experts say some people are forced to deal with untreated hearing loss because they don't have access to the funds or insurance. We talk with the assistant director of audiology at the Columbus Speech and Hearing. And she says this is a major step forward for deaf and hard of hearing communities. It's exciting because there's a lot of uh, research that shows that getting hearing aids can help with cognition and can help with um, keeping your brain active and healthy. And so if we can get more people into hearing aids sooner, um, those benefits are certainly there. There's also um, risks with untreated hearing loss, risks for cognitive decline, risks for social isolation and depression. There's a higher increased risk of falls. So being able to get into some type of hearing device sooner um, can hopefully help you ward off some of those things. And Dr. Thompson says anyone looking to buy the device should get a hearing test to be sure they're eligible. The hearing aids are going to be available online and at local pharmacies starting at about $1,000. And on that note, we thank you for joining us today for Face the State. 
and we wish you all a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. It might be hard to imagine, but there's a place where you can find a restaurant on every corner. A place where you can eat like a king for as little as a dollar. It might be hard to imagine, but this is the same place where the school lunches aren't just delicious. They're themed with palate pleasers like mozzarella stick Mondays, taco Tuesdays, and French Fridays. Heck, even pizza counts as a vegetable here. This is a place where the fast food just keeps getting faster. You can even order delivery right from your video game console. And how's the food, you ask? Well, it is to die for. Don't believe us? Just ask the friends and family of the 300,000 who did last year. Welcome to the state of America. Welcome to Obesity USA. Population 115 million and getting bigger by the day. To learn more, go to visitobesity.org. That's visitobesity.org. Brought to you by the Pennington Biomedical Research Foundation. Cancer screening can save your life. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Amy Shadwick, who is the director of Recovery Ohio. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. What is Recovery Ohio? Recovery Ohio is actually an initiative out of the governor's office. It's this executive order that the governor created when he took office. And so really um, what the focus Recovery Ohio is to make sure that we're working together across all of our state agencies to address mental health in addition. When I talk about Recovery Ohio and talk about really aspirationally what we think we're trying to achieve is we want Ohio to be the most recovery-friendly state and place to live. So if you are someone with a mental illness and substance use disorder, or you're a family member with someone who has those diseases, or you even care about someone who suffers from those diseases, we want Ohio to be the place that, that you live and, and get the treatment and get the support that you need. What is the uh, current situation with the opioid epidemic in Ohio? Unfortunately, um, as we look at the opioid epidemic and just broadly the addiction crisis in Ohio and really nationally, um, we do continue to see an increase of overdose deaths um, in our state and really across the country. And that's really not attributed to increased drug use. It's actually attributed to um, the increased lethality or deadliness of the drug supply. So more and more we're seeing fentanyl. Um, in our drug supply, and in fact, over 80% of the overdose deaths in Ohio um, involves fentanyl. So it's a really, really deadly uh, substance, and unfortunately, that leads to us losing um, more Ohioans to overdoses. You know, it's frightening to think about how much worse this would be without naloxone or uh, Narcan. 
Yeah, it really is. And we're really proud of the efforts that we have in the state around um, naloxone. Actually, just recently, we um, launched a new website that actually streamlines the process of getting naloxone. So for those of, of the listeners who may not be familiar with naloxone, it's actually a, a drug that can be administered through the nose if someone is experiencing or you think they may be experiencing an overdose and it actually um, kicks them into withdrawal and um, basically really uh, brings them back to life. And so having that life-saving drug um, available is really, really important. So we've created a website, it's naloxone.ohio.gov to streamline the process regardless of if you're a community member or you're an organization, a law enforcement organization, we want to make sure that people have an easy way to request and get naloxone um, in their communities to ultimately save more lives. Talking with Amy Shadwick, she's the director of Recovery Ohio. I think uh, the number of uh, overdose deaths in Ohio, it's about 4,000 per year or so. Is that about right? Yeah, I I think um, unfortunately the most recent stat I've seen is is just over five thousand from twenty twenty one, but yeah, I mean you know it's a it's a high number and too many people um, that we're losing. And Recovery Ohio is in large part kind of an educational campaign. I'm sure that most people listening have seen those beat the stigma messages on television, and you're one of the members of the group behind that, right? Yeah, so one of the things that we did early on with Recovery Ohio is the governor uh, created an advisory council and really charged that advisory council to create recommendations and a report to guide the work of Recovery Ohio, uh, both within the governor's office and within our state agencies. And the number one recommendation in that report was actually to create a campaign to end stigma. And so rather than um, go it alone, we actually decided to partner with the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance, which some of your listeners may be familiar with their former uh, commercial, the Denial Ohio commercial in that spot. So we decided to partner um, at the state and provide funding through the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Um, to the Adam H. Board of Franklin County, who is another partner in the effort, and to join forces with the Opioid Education Alliance to create this campaign um, to beat stigma, to end stigma around mental health and addiction. And I guess one of the main driving reasons for that is that if people are already facing the difficulties of of an opioid addiction, and if they're marginalized in society, then some of the underlying conditions that may have led to those problems are only going to get worse, and it's going to make it even more difficult for them to recover. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, um, stigmas around people who have mental health and substance use um, have been prevalent in our community, in our society, really, for a long time. And so not only is it about, um, you know, having those conversations, but it's about reducing that stigma. So when someone or their family member might be facing mental illness and addiction, that they're willing to talk about it and they're willing to seek the treatment that that they need. So hopefully they can go on to, you know, live a healthy, productive life. 
certainly we know if folks don't feel like they can talk about those diseases, they're less likely to enter treatment or it takes them longer. And so just like a physical health condition, we'd, we'd rather see someone go to their primary care physician and, and, you know, start to talk about some of the things that maybe you have high blood pressure, maybe you have high blood, you know, high cholesterol and address it at that point rather than waiting until you show up at the emergency room with a heart attack. So that's really the same idea with the disease of addiction. You know, let's start, start talking about it early. Let's intervene early and engage in treatment and, and get those resources and supports in place rather than waiting until you're really at a crisis point. And some of the phrasing has been changing or there's been an effort to change it. I notice uh, that you and others that I talk with in the field uh, routinely now, without any hesitation, can use words like substance use disorder instead of calling someone an addict, things like that. I mean, it, it may seem subtle to somebody who's not listening carefully, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of the kinds of changes that are being done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've we've made a big focus on changing the language and really using what we call person-first language. So focusing on the person um, and not leading with the disease. So when we talk about a person with a substance use disorder, right, still focusing on the person. Another thing that, that we actually did at Recovery Ohio um, in addition to the Beat the Stigma campaign, is we actually worked with the Opioid Alliance and the Attorney General's Mental Health Task Force. And we actually re- created a resource guide um, for media professionals like, like yourself to uh, share information and education, not only about language, but also imagery. So as you talk about language, also the imagery. So you may be watching the news or watching a television show and the pictures that we use and the videos that we use whenever we portray people with a substance use disorder or a mental illness are also really important so that we're not inadvertently continuing to carry on that message and reinforcing those stigmas. Talking with Amy Shadwick, Director of Recovery Ohio. Unfortunately, every week that goes by, somebody else dies who in their family or in their circle of friends would have never believed it could happen to them. That's right. And that's why really one of the parts of the Beat the Stigma campaign and why it's so important is we're we're doing a few things with that campaign. The first one is to ask each person to really challenge what they know about mental illness. Um, and addiction and making sure that we're having those those conversations. But another really, really important part of the Beat the Stigma campaign and really the conversations that we're hoping it will elicit is really, really that underlying thematic of treating people with respect and empathy and not judgment because Everyone has a story that you might not know about. There's always more to the story. And for all of those folks that, you know, lose a loved one and and folks may have those stigmas and prevent from having those conversations, it's just really, really important that we start to change that culture and making sure that that we are treating people with respect and empathy and not continuing that judgment judgment and stigma whenever a family may also be suffering from a loss. 
Yeah, those initial judgments, you know, because I think of stories where you might see someone at a in a grocery store parking lot who parks at a handicap zone, and then they get out and walk to the store, and you think, well, I don't see any crutches, I don't see a wheelchair, I don't know what's going on there. And maybe they have, uh, you know, some sort of chronic lung disorder or a heart condition where they're unable hardly to breathe. They can't park, you know, a long ways away from the store. You just don't know what's going on with anybody under any situation, and the last thing we should do is judge them. That's right. Yeah, there's always more. There's always more to the story than you may know or than I may know. What uh, are some of the other initiatives that are going on with Recovery Ohio or with the uh, Opioid Alliance? I I already mentioned the naloxone.ohio.gov website, which was, again, an initiative for a partnership between Recovery Ohio, the Ohio Department of Health, and the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. And again, that's a way to um, to streamline for our community members and individuals if you're looking to um, request naloxone or you're in need of naloxone, um, that, that that's a great resource and a new one that's available. Another one that um, I, I'm particularly proud, of, proud to talk about and think it's a really innovative approach whenever we think about how to tackle and, and educate about addiction, and that's the Recovery Within Reach campaign. So Recovery Ohio partnered with the Ohio Department of Commerce to actually create that campaign. And so really early on, Governor DeWine, when he took office, he encouraged all of our state agencies to think about how can they be part of uh, and part of the solution whenever we think of the addiction crisis. And so we've seen some of our state agencies come up with really um, innovative ways to do that. And so the Ohio Department of Commerce re- launched the Recovery Within Reach campaign. And it's, the goal is to connect people with resources and pro- to treatment near them and provide them with resources. But one of the ways that they're doing that is actually through educating certified financial planners. We know from some research that family members um, may spend up to $35,000 to help a loved one find treatment for addiction. And so this campaign is actually a creative way to provide information about treatment and resources available in the community through certified financial planners. So we want to make sure that certified financial planners know about their resources and the other options that are available for someone to engage in treatment. So hopefully someone doesn't have to use their investments or their retirement accounts to help pay for a loved one treat, loved one's treatment, but rather use some of the resources that are already available in the local communities. That's great. What about in terms of uh, facilities that can help those who are trying to recover? Do, do we have enough of those in Ohio or are there more coming online? So actually not directly related to the facility, but that was the other point that I was going to mention is the other thing that actually did just come online July 1st is 988. And that's actually the the 24-7 suicide and crisis lifeline. So one of the things when we talk about um, capacity and is there enough inpatient capacity in the state really is the other question there is, is there an opportunity to engage with people 
um, in the community and, again, engage with them early on in the crisis. And if there's an opportunity to do that, they may not need uh, to come to a facility or, or be um, hospitalized. So Ohioans now who are experiencing a mental health or addiction crisis or their family members can actually call um, 988 anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, to reach a trained counselor. And then again, if there's a need for that person then to you know, go at, from outside of their home or outside of the community, the 988 trained counselors have the resources in those local communities to be able to get that person to the care that they need immediately. That's outstanding. Uh, talking with Amy Shadwick, she's the director of Recovery Ohio. We've had a lot of uh, court settlements lately. Some of the uh, drug makers have been found liable in court, and at some point maybe some of those dollars will be available to open up more treatment centers or, or to deal with this in whatever way additionally it can be done. At Recovery Ohio in the governor's office, we're going to continue like we have um, every day to make sure that we have this front and center and that we're focusing on it and not just from um, the community education perspective or the initiatives that I mentioned today, but really across that full continuum, making sure that there's prevention so hopefully we can avoid um, anyone falling prey to the disease of addiction in the future, that we have treatment and that we have supports in place for when somebody does um, experience uh, the disease of addiction. So really, we're going to continue to focus every single day uh, to do everything that we can to to save more lives and, and hopefully even prevent our future generation from, from falling prey to the disease of addiction. And on the, the settlement side, uh, the one thing that I, I can mention is the One Ohio Recovery Foundation. And so while that is a, a private uh, nonprofit organization. Certainly the governor, when he was attorney general, was instrumental in, in bringing those lawsuits against the distributors, which now we are seeing some, some big settlements in, in Ohio that will go towards um, abating some of the, the harm that was done to the community. So I know in talking to some of our colleagues at the One Ohio Recovery Foundation, they're working really, really hard to, to set up that nonprofit organization so they can do exactly what you said, provide uh, grants to our local communities so we can continue to do more and hopefully uh, turn the tide and uh, save more lives and, and eliminate uh, the disease of addiction. And that's uh, an important point, too, along all this, because, you know, it seems like the opioid addiction crisis has become more of a street-themed situation of late, and yet prescription drugs played a part in this. They did. So, you know, really early on, it, it did start with prescription drugs and, and that um, those prescription pain medication. And, and then we really saw it evolve to um, heroin. And, and now we really are seeing um, fentanyl. In fact, um there are very few deaths now in Ohio, overdose deaths that include heroin. It, it predominantly is fentanyl now. And so when we think about, you know, Recovery Ohio and, and how to move forward, we really think more broadly about the disease of addiction and, and are starting or, or been really intentional to make sure that 
we're not just talking about opioids, but we're really talking about addiction and, and all substances because we know that um, the people that were that are using substances are often using multiple substances. It's not just one. So it's really, really important as we think about our response and our efforts that we're making sure that we're addressing addiction, broadly speaking, and not just focusing on opioids. Right. There's been a, a big uh, upswing in fentanyl found in meth and cocaine as well, right? Yeah, that's one of the things when you look at the information um, from our Ohio Department of Health reports is that there are more and more deaths that are including fentanyl, and we have seen a large number of overdose deaths that are meth and fentanyl and cocaine and fentanyl, which often what what we hear when we talk in some of those communities are many of those folks are not seeking fentanyl. And because fentanyl is so lethal that the first time that someone uses that unknowingly, they may think they're using cocaine and they're unknowingly using cocaine and fentanyl. Unfortunately, that's a really lethal combination and often we lose that person. It's a frightening situation. Talking with Amy Shadwick, Director of Recovery Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? I think just the last thing I'd like to add is just as as folks listen um, to this, and especially if you're part of of an organization that is interested in in being more involved, um, that the Ohio Opioid Education Alliance is, is definitely a great way to do that. The Alliance actually has over 100 businesses and organizations that are really all working to to end the stigma. And it's a really important part of our relationship with the Alliance and and the governor. So we want to make sure that folks know that the Alliance exists. We're not aware of any coalition like this across uh, anywhere else in the country And so if folks want to learn more or want to become a part of the alliance, uh, they can go to the BeatTheStigma.org website, which has more information about the campaign and then also the the alliance, because I know that those partners are really important to us at the state and really what helps make the message move forward so that folks can um, beat the stigma. And Amy, if there's a family out there in crisis what are the important contact numbers or websites to know? Yeah. So first and foremost, um, 988. So again, 988 is the 24-7, 365 crisis line that was established in Ohio and across the entire country on July 1st. So if someone or their family member is experiencing a mental health or addiction crisis, they can call or text um, 988. So that really is a really in, important one. And the other thing that just if you if you are listening and you ha- and you have a family member or you may be struggling yourself, I just want to send a message of hope um, to take it one day at a time, uh, reach out for help and and to know that there's help out there and uh, reach out and there's hope. So our website is recoveryohio.gov. So many of the um, things that I shared today about the recovery within REACH, the naloxone.ohio.gov website, also the, the Beat the Stigma campaign, 
Um, we have multiple resources on our website, so it'd be another great tool um, for your listeners to have handy if they ever want to look and find resources for mental health and addiction. Okay, good to talk with you, Amy, and thanks for all the information. Yeah, we appreciate it, Dave. Thank you for um, inviting and making this important topic, one that your listeners can learn more about. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.